0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Sock Takes podcast. I'm your host tonight. It is not a mistake. I am Aaron Gunyan, and I am going to be walking everybody through what we're going to be talking about tonight and and basically MCing on my own. This is the second time I've done it. Kevin's been taking the reins lately, and is just kind of mailing it in at this point. For the but, but before we through. come
1: to you, Aaron, let, <laughs> let's talk about something.
0: No, else. you can't do that. You can't <laughs> wait to you can't wait to introduce me. No, you can't. This is my moment in the sun. <laughs> let me introduce to you my two other co-hosts. The first one needs no introduction, but I'm I think that's part of what I'm supposed to do anyway. <laughs> he is the man with the plan. It's Kevin Johnson. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
2: Excellent, my friend. Great intro.
0: Hey, thanks. Thanks. Uh, I woke up from a nap a little bit ago and quite pleasantly, my wife had made (laughs) dinner and it was just waiting for me when I woke up. And that's never happened before. So now I'm like energized and ready to go and take on the world. I think she wants me to do housework and other things to earn my keep, but that's not happening. Let's introduce our next guest our other co-host is a better way to describe him. This person has striking good looks, so striking, in fact, that random women will stop on the street and <laughs> take his photograph. <laughs> Just out of the blue. Napun Chopra. Welcome, Napun Chopra, to episode 24 of the Sock Takes podcast.
1: Absolute pleasure to be a guest on your podcast.
0: Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to be with you today. Anything interesting happen at all today? You want to talk about anything? Anything interesting?
1: No, nothing interesting in my life.
0: That's interesting That's that you lot. would say that. First of all, <laughs> yeah, let's move on. <laughs>
1: First of all, let's move on.
0: First of all, I'm really killing this right now. Um, oh, I was literally asleep ten minutes ago. I'm doing this. We, the Sock Takes family, have some special news, a very exciting moment, a bulletin, breaking news point. We tried to tease it earlier and, I don't know, garnered a little bit of interest. Now, the news is official. Sock Takes, at least for the, the time being, would like to welcome Bob Williams into the fold. The uh, Bob Williams formerly of The Telegraph, the Bob Williams that you've seen writing different lower division soccer pieces uh, in the United States. He will be moving from London to New York in a matter of weeks. And we reached out to him, and he reached back, and, and then we're all reaching to each other, hands holding hands. I don't even know what that is.
1: Anyway, Bob Williams...
0: So this Williams is a. Have you guys ever heard
1: blood. of Robbie Williams, the artist?
0: No, maybe. Yes. What should I say there?
2: Heard of him? So he, couldn't identify. He's our Robbie. Song. We
1: we have a Robbie Williams, man. Yeah? He's
2: just the greatest man. is we'll an Indian thing
1: that plays.
0: He sounds. <laughs> he sounds like the greatest. And the what greatest. I was just talking to you, gentlemen, about offline was one of my philosophies which is surround yourself with talent and we're definitely doing that when we bring bob williams in so welcome bob robbie looking forward to it we're
1: calling him robbie williams like robbie williams from we might call him
0: robbie williams if we want to be disrespectful i believe his name is bob well it's robbie for me so that's that well you're entitled to your own opinion cheers (laughs) that's (laughs) that's a naboonism i'll show you that's a that's a cheers that really means fuck you
1: yeah, it's true. When I say cheers, it usually means fuck you. I don't want to continue this conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're entitled to your own opinion. Cheers. <laughs> that you is precisely. Out, see, baby. That's how I. No, read but we
1: that. are so excited to have Bob on, uh, Robbie on. It's going to be great for Socktix to have someone of his caliber collaborate with us, and it's fantastic. So kudos to Kevin, who's really the mastermind and definitely the. Uh, the financial backing for SockTake, so all the credit goes to him.
0: Yes. Hardly. Credit credit to Kevin Johnston. If you hadn't created this, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this with you guys understanding what I'm saying. So
2: (laughs) Hey, it's no sweat off my back. I mean, I'm a gambling man, as you know. I mean, why not throw a couple bucks around and see where, you know, some, some good guys around you can take you, so... Well, I we appreciate it because We're we to
1: appreciate have it. We appreciate it because a lot of people will say that, but they won't pay their people who are writing. So we appreciate you doing what you're doing and putting your money, literally where your mouth is, which is on your ass.
2: Yeah, they say. Which fight is a great point fight. to bring <laughs> up. This, this is just fighting the bad fight. <laughs> which is a
0: great point to bring up. <laughs> if you like us rambling and making fun of each other, you should head to our Patreon page, and nice. maybe consider subscribing so you can head. Head to Patreon slash Sock takes. And really anything you want to donate would be welcome and, and the smallest subscription allowed is $1 and we would happily say thank you to you on social media for that. This weekend, there was a game that we were all at. It was Indy 11 versus New York Cosmos rematch, round two. Two weeks ago, Indy 11 went to New York City and came back with a 1-1 draw and this saturday the result was a little bit different kevin i know you were at the game and i know you got a chance to to write a recap which was amazing in the indy star well received the indianapolis star is uh improving their coverage every single week with kevin johnston at the helm there what did you see (laughs) this weekend what were your takeaways right away broad strokes when Indy Eleven hosted New York Cosmos just a couple of days ago.
2: Yeah, my, I've got some some good real takes and some ho takes for you. So oh my! Strap in. No, I'm just kidding. But uh. <laughs>
0: well, I'm about the ho but now's now's the chance. So I guess we didn't even say what was the score of the game.
2: Two to one final in favor of the Indy Eleven, which was the third win in Indy's last four matches. And uh, uh, the other result in that stretch was a draw. So unbeaten over the last four. That summer solstice was June 21st, I believe. Uh, Indy got a win a couple days before that, like June 17th, and has not um, suffered a defeat in the summer yet. So they're peaking at, I wouldn't say the right time necessarily, that's still to come, but they're peaking at a good time to gain some momentum, position themselves nicely for the fall. Um, in their minds, they're a contender to win the fall season. You know, of course, what Miami FC has done, we'll get to that in a moment, I'm sure. But what they've done, that all ends at the end of the spring. You know, they've locked up that position and the fall season is treated as a, a separate season, you know, for that um, for that other playoff spot. So I think Indy is doing well to put themselves in good position to build momentum, uh, continue to get some good results. And another thing is they've, I think you tweeted this, Aaron, they've now trotted out the same starting 11 in the last four matches. So they got guys healthy. They're getting a little continuity together. And the results are shown on the pitch.
0: Yeah, that is true. I did tweet that out. I'm very observant. <laughs> the same lineup four weeks in a row, that, that definitely would lead me to believe that consistency with the lineups were not we're the reason for Indy 11 struggles early. Do you believe that this consistency in the lineup is the solution? I mean, you, like you said, they are rounding, you know, they are turning the corner and they are getting into form. They're not necessarily peaking, but they are showing their, their true colors. So do you think it has anything to do with this?
2: Yeah, I do think it has something to do with it. Um, we've all been very critical of Sanisha Ubi Parapovich, and I think we kind of agree if Torado was healthy, maybe that's the A-plus lineup with this group. Maybe that's the ideal lineup is every, everyone that's been out there the last four games, um, but maybe less Ubi Peripovic and bring on Toronto. Um, that said, I thought Ubi played pretty well the other night, um, to be honest. For about 10, 15 minutes, it kind of seemed like the same old story, same old Ubi. Um, I know Daniel Keller played him. What looked like a good ball. It, it didn't have too much or too little pace. It was on the floor, played to his feet, and Ubi tried to make a one-touch pass, kind of backwards at an angle, and it was just right to a defender that was clogging up the passing lane, and. Ubi just kind of typical fashion, he looked up at Keller and just his immediate instinct was to, Keller, what are you doing? And uh, I think even Ubi had an epiphany himself that was like, oh, okay, okay, that was fucking my fault, you know? So after that, I thought Ubi played quite well. I mean, I don't recall any bad giveaways he, he gave after that. Uh, maybe one or two, but while trying to make a dangerous pass or something like that. But I thought he had a solid game otherwise, was efficient, a good distributor. And of course, Tim Hankinson has been asking him to drop back and play deeper and help out defensively a little bit more. And I thought he did a good job of that as well. So, hat tip to Sanisha Ubi Parapovic. I thought he played pretty well against the Cosmos at the mic.
0: Napoon, I know you're a little bit of a tactical wizard. Uh, chess playing mind what did you see in this game what was different did you notice anything from New York Cosmos game one to New York Cosmos game two what players stood out to you and anything tactically
1: what stood out to me were something we touched on last week which was the space in midfields for Indy 11 it's something we collectively asked Colin Falvey about as well after the game about uh, the space that Indy 11 was leaving in midfield last week, uh, which was exploited by New York Cosmos. That wasn't the case so much this week. Um, uh, KJ touched on Ubi Paripovic and some of that came down to Ubi. Ubi uh, did not push up as much in this game against Cosmos uh, yesterday, or sorry, on Saturday, as much as he did at Cosmos. and There was a lot less space between him and Brad Ring. Um, And that for the most part, prevented Ledesma from having the kind of impact he did the previous week. Sure, Ledesma did score the goal that Cosmos scored, but outside of that, he did not have enough time on the ball to play through the likes of Randy Khan or uh, or Starikov or some of those players. Um, I thought Ryan Richter was in a lot, uh, had a lot less space as well, which was credit to um, uh, to uh, uh, I was going to say Crime Master. Superstrike Vuko, uh, also, as uh, who who had another good game. Super striker Vuko, our most consistent player this season, outside of maybe uh, maybe Brad. I would say Vuko has been absolutely fantastic. Um, and the final thing I noticed was I I am beginning to wonder. Uh, last week, actually, let me put it this way. Last week we talked about how. Uh, oh, oh, actually, not even last week. It was the Patreon pod. We talked about how goldie goldsmith is having more of an impact he came on as a sub and i am coming around to kj's idea of needing to start goldsmith because i'm not exactly sure what it is that ben spears is bringing to this team i would like to see goldie start in front of ben spears um at least maybe next week you know it's pretty much a dead rubber it doesn't mean anything i'd like to see goldie get some time and see what he can do because in my opinion ben spears is not having uh, great impact on the pitch and an argument can be made that he, he he's he been responsible for a few of the uh, Attacking li- attacking stuff breaking down. So I'd love to see Goldie start
0: uh, next week That's a very good point Ben is one of the players that I have been looking forward to him breaking out I've been pretty critical of his decision-making Uh, And this goes with giveaways as well, you know, you talk about offensive breakdowns I think sometimes he's not in sync with other players and I don't know if it's because everybody had a whole year I mean you look at this in the 11 team Daniel Keller's new to the starting lineup, but he's been with the team for two years before Ben species is one of the starters that that is the newest to the squad and I just don't see him on the same page with as many people as I would like Goldsmith, as we talked about in the Patreon pod, will bring this up. Coach said that he is one of the most technically gifted and one of the best strikers of the ball that that there is on the team. He's definitely earning some favor with the coach. And I think there's something to be said for that. It is possible that we do see a switch like that in the future. I don't know if they're going to shake things up too dramatically right now. Like I've said before, uh, Coach Hankinson, Indianapolis – I'm sorry, what am I saying? Indy 11 head coach Tim Hankinson does not believe that Goldsmith really has the chops to start in this league yet. I mean, he will do it for sure, but he believes the college game is not fast enough and strong enough to really give Indy 11 what it needs for 90 minutes. So – that could change over the course of the, the remaining season. I don't think it'll change in in the next week. But we can be critical of Coach, and we don't have to always applaud every decision he makes. One of the things that I've found interesting is his subbing, especially late in the game. We know that Sanisha Ubu Parapovic had a decent game, but he does lose speed in a hurry after the 60th minute, and substitutions weren't really you know, there, there was no urgency for substitutions within the 11. And so Ubi comes off at some point, uh, who else? Don smart came off. Right. Yeah. And then, and then Ben Spees came off. Can you guys, Kevin, can you talk about the substitutions and when they were made and what you thought at that time?
2: Yeah, I don't remember exactly when they were. I know off the top of my head, I'll look it up right now, but I know Lavelle, I think, was the second sub. I thought that was a very smart sub. You know, you're it's late, you're preserving the the two one score line, so why not bring on a veteran defender? Thought that was and he came on for Ben.
0: I think Lavelle came on for Ben and so they kinda shifted to two defensive midfielders. Lavelle kinda dropped in next to Brad Ring.
2: Yeah, I thought that was very astute on Hankinson's part. And then um, we've been saying it, and we all knew Goldsmith was going to get an appearance off the bench. And um, the thing is, he hasn't really shown a whole lot when he has played. But, you know, as Hankinson has told us, he's kind of been the MVP of training for the past couple weeks or whatever. So um, apparently what Coach told you, Aaron, is that anytime they're doing a shooting, finishing drill of any sort or... Um, collect, turn, and shoot type of drill. Um, he's just the star. He He's one of the best finishers, possibly the best finisher. If you talk about maybe, you know, no pressure, no defense, he just has uh, tactically the most uh, precise finishing on the team, maybe. So um, I'm excited to see what Goldsmith can bring in the future. And, of course, I'm known for the shameless plug. And I'm also known to not give precise dates because I'm always working on a million <laughs> things, but... Um, I will have a David Goldsmith feature oh, in God, the Indianapolis yeah, right. Star this week, oh. uh, probably Wednesday. So, definitely check that out. I got to talk to Goldsmith on the phone for about a good 10 minutes the other day. And I've also talked to Coach about him at training. So, it's a good little story.
1: KJ, how's that Valderrama piece coming? The
0: yeah, Valderrama I mean, Kevin, I really like coming. you as a person. <laughs> yeah. I really respect you just like as a person. <laughs> the and... way,
1: baby. By the way, yeah. while we were talking, I got an email. We got an email from Edmonton's uh, PR team, and Den- Dean Shields has left the club. Um, he, Dean Shields, the Northern Irish uh, attacking midfielder who, who was played for Arsenal and played for Rangers, Mighty Rangers that is, in Scotland, uh, has left the club for they, some personal reasons. It's mutual, uh, mutual parting of ways. So that's some breaking news.
0: That is interesting. interesting. A team that's already at the bottom of the table and in the worst form next to Puerto Rico FC and losing at
1: the bottom of the table in terms of goals created. Let's go of an attacking player.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, the good news in Edmonton is they are getting record attendance numbers, or at least they're getting more groundswell and organic growth. There's a lot of positive buzz about the amount of people that are showing up for Edmonton games. As we know, in Indianapolis, it doesn't matter if the team's any good. If the party's there, the people will be back. Will be back. And um, maybe they need to get themselves a, a, a partnership like like uh, the Brickyard Battalion has with People's Brewing and, and get their own beer going, and then the rest will just take care of itself. I mean, honestly. Who cares about attacking players or scoring goals? Just, you know. <laughs> Get drunk in the West End. I heard that the Edmonton fans were actually holding up arrows in the stand pointing to the goal. That's tight. um, Trolling their own players.
1: Tight.
0: So just in case the Edmonton players weren't sure, I think Edmonton's only scored nine goals or something on the season. So back to Indy and back to this New York game. So we we noticed some tactical differences. One of the things that Coach talked to me about on Friday ahead of the game was something that actually panned out quite well. So I'm going to explain to you what he had said to me, which was New York Cosmos like to really push a counter after a defensive corner kick. So instead of setting as many players back in the box as they can, New York Cosmos actually pushes many attacking players forward up to the halfway line as they can it creates it creates a conundrum for teams it's you know do you try and defend your own corner you know do you have to worry about the counterattack? how aggressively do you pursue the corner knowing that new york cosmos are going to try and get out on the break what it does though is it vacates a lot of space and leaves a lot of room to work for a player like justin braun mm-hmm. justin braun Who knew exactly where the ball was coming for the second goal? It was a corner kick and given all the room in the world to work. There were I think four I'm sorry. That's the wrong number. There were five or six New York defenders in the box plus the goalie and Indy 11 had only three people in the box Attacking and one of them was Colin Falvey. One of them is Justin Braun. The point is the ball was looped over the top Justin Braun Mm -hmm. faked inside, went around outside to the far post and with all the room he could use to work, buried a header and it was a go-ahead goal. Justin Braun now with seven goals on the season who is second behind, I want to say, two different Miami players, which is ridiculous, with eight goals. Um, You guys can help me out with with that. It's Ronella and then...
1: Who? What did you say? The, how many goals did they score?
0: Yeah, there are two Miami players with eight goals, I believe.
1: Must be Pino. He scored four in one game, so.
0: Yeah, so Pino and Ranella both have eight goals. Justin Brown has seven, so he's he's in second place in the league in goals scored. Um. Go
1: good too? I'm not sure, but yeah. But it was something.
0: A... Back to my point is I completely lose focus is that Coach had been watching the film and he had been planning on exploiting that weakness that New York tries too aggressively to counterattack off of a corner. And they practiced corners and you know on Friday, and he talked to me about it on Friday, so that's one of the things we're looking at. And you can see Indy did not play short corners. They didn't play it safe. Every single ball was attempting to get in there and, and work on... On these advantages with space and so it did work out to his advantage i think at this point i'm gonna have to troll the shit out of people the hankinson out people need to shut up (laughs) they just they have and they have by the way they they literally have nothing to talk about because we've we've expressed all the different times than the substitutions and the tactical changes we've seen now back-to-back games with multiple teams where adjustments happen And, you know, you'd think a lesser coach would be exploited when you return to North Carolina and, you know, you just beat North Carolina on your own turf and then you travel to theirs and they don't get it done. And then when you you go to New York and then you earn a draw on the road and then you come back home and then you stand up, you stand tall again, and then you earn the victory. Sure, there was a controversial PK in the game on Saturday, but there was a controversial PK in the game before. So I'm not that worried about it. I think coach Hankinson is proving quite regularly that he has what it takes. If given his, his preferred lineup and maybe just a little bit more freedom with his selections on the bench. So let's talk about another game that happened this weekend. It was actually the game that Napoon cared about. It was the <laughs> only game that Napoon cared about. <laughs> it was Miami versus Delta's. It was actually kind of an important game. I think it was an opportunity for Miami to close out and win the spring. So, Napoon, talk to me about that game and what you saw and, and what happened.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a pressure game for Miami. Really, the first pressure game. They, they'd lost to North Carolina a few days earlier. Uh, by the way, I, I didn't realize this, but North Carolina, the only team Miami hasn't beaten, they've tied twice with them and lost once to North Carolina, which is a crazy, weird anomaly of a
0: statistic. It's like a double rainbow. I'm sorry. It's like a double rainbow.
1: It is, but your audio is breaking up for some reason too. So we need to figure that well, out. But while you're doing that, um, I, I I thought the game was just incredible to watch. On the one hand, you had this this really this team that is that has exceeded everyone's expectations in deltas, uh, in the sense that they you know their first year uh, team and people didn't expect them to do as well as they as they have but they were completely hum- humiliated and honestly the score could have been double figures um it could have been 10 11 goals i mean that's how much how many chances miami created and they scored all different kinds of goals tap-ins uh, one brilliant goal from martinez from distance uh, Pino ending up with four goals, our own Dylan Mares scoring the first and fourth goals. Um, just an incredible game. And when you put into the context that this game decided that Miami was winning the spring, it gives you an idea of how much talent is in this Miami team. And, and I'm not giving anyone any breaking news. Everyone following the NASL knows this. But what was a surprise to me was how well they talented... Uh, sorry, how well they... Handled a high, their first high-pressure game. This game could have gone any way, right? If they tied this game, all of a sudden they had a U.S. Open Cup game in the midweek. Then they had to go away at, to Delta's to secure the spring championship. And they, but they just took care of business in the best way they could, which is beating Delta's seven to nothing.
0: Obviously, seven nil is a sound beating, but it wasn't. It wasn't a competition early. I mean, they put the Delta's away quickly it was three goals in 14 minutes and then deltas were a man down right
1: it was and by the way aaron you sound like you're uh talking through a fan right now i don't know what's going on but i'm
0: i'm uh, your father i'm not doing that but throw it to kj for a little bit
1: yeah Yeah, it might be your headset yeah Uh, why don't you drop off the call and come back on
2: no, he sounds fine to me, like maybe slightly muffled. Oh,
1: maybe it's on my end because that's how you're sounding too. So, uh, okay, so it must be my end, it. as long as you guys can hear me. Um, so, sorry. So, uh, Aaron, what you asked basically was um, about the, uh, did you ask me about a tactical setup? I couldn't hear you very well.
0: I was talking about how quickly they put them away, how efficiently. Miami struck, and how Deltas were just floundering 14 minutes in.
1: Yeah, and I think that was because Miami basically came in into the game. They they went in with a couple of hard tackles. Like they came in to just finish off this game right from the get go. And in the very first, oh, sorry, very I think second minute, uh, Lahoud created a, created a chance, and then Delmer's, uh, m- uh scored the first goal involving some brilliant link-up play between Richie Ryan and uh, the left-back Blake Smith. And, you know, once the first goal went in, it just felt like Delta's, any resolve they had, pretty much dropped. And along the way, as you suggested, they were down by three goals in 15 minutes. Uh, They also got a red card. But honestly, the game was decided way before that red card. And it was almost... It was almost like practice for Miami at some point. At one point in the game, they were just passing, doing circles around deltas. They took off three of their main players. They they took off uh, uh, Poku, Pino, and I think they took off Richie Ryan as well. So they were able to rotate just to give themselves a break before the U.S. Open Cup game. So it was it literally couldn't have been an easier day at the office and. Honestly, I wouldn't say there was anything new Miami did tactically. It was the same old thing, but they just came out with a little more desire, probably because of the loss against North Carolina, and probably because they knew if they win this, they win the whole thing. So it was that little bit of desire, and you saw just the ability they had.
0: Kevin, were there any surprises for you? I know that obviously wrapping up the spring means that Miami gets an automatic playoff berth, But what does it mean for the competition, the NASL, and the overall game that there's a team that's so dominant right now that's also clearly firing on all cylinders?
2: Yeah, and to be fair, you know, I don't believe that Miami FC is seven goals better than Delta's. You know, everyone's entitled to a bad night at the office. You know, if you look at, you know, I love my uh, crossover sport analogies. But, you know, all, all the best Cricket. all the best MMA fighters and boxers of all time, you know, highest rated. How fight.
0: did I know it was going to be a boxing reference? Um, yeah. But, you Fucking know, they all have losses. Show. Box
1: you know, takes. I, this is a box take.
2: Yeah, everyone takes it on the chin at some point, you know. So um, the Deltas coming in, they had only allowed 10 goals on the season, 10 total on the year uh, through, what, 14 games. So... That's they just had one god awful night at the office, you know. They they gave up seven. Like you said, the game was decided, so the red card certainly was not a factor. They just they came out flat, and you know they got ran off the pitch early, and then once the red card happened, that's when it pretty much became a practice. And but yeah, you're right. Even before that, they just came out lacking intensity, and I think you just got to chalk it up to. Um, An expansion team kind of finding out their identity. I think actually they'll grow from this. I don't think that some people might be like, oh, is this the beginning of the end for them? Are they going to fall apart? You know, how are they going to respond to this? I think they'll respond positively to to this huge bruise. This, you know, this awful contusion they took from Miami. Um, Nice word. I like
1: that. (laughs)
2: Um, But yeah, back to Miami FC. You know, we've been raving about how good this team is, so we're certainly not surprised. And they just, you still have to be impressed. Even though your expectations, you probably thought they're going to come out, just show they're the better team, get it done, beat the Deltas. But, you know, you might even thought it might be like, you know, 2-0, 3-1, something like that. But 7-0, they came out, they made a huge statement, sealed up the spring title time and time again, they show that they're the best team, you know, even though they struggle against North Carolina FC, but you can chalk that up as an aberration. I don't believe that squad has even won a game since May, if I'm not mistaken They, They had a horrible June and I don't believe they've been much better in July. So um, they're the class of the NASL. They're the class of D2. I think we can all agree. And not only to win 7-0, but to even build the lead so early to the point where they could sub out a Poku and some of their better players. And um, Napoon, you made a, a great points. And by the way, plug for napoon He has a piece coming out via Cincy Soccer Talk. He's helping them out with a preview piece of the upcoming USOC match between Miami FC and FC Cincinnati. So if I'm FC Cincinnati, I'm very concerned because Miami FC was absolutely able to just take their foot off the gas, rest players, and drop the intensity. So,
1: and, and still credit- managed to score two goals on, even though they took their foot <laughs> off the gas.
2: Exactly. And so yeah. all credit to them. They they, they earned the right to, to get into this position. They earned absolutely every bit of it. And I can't wait for this game Wednesday. I think FC Cincinnati has a very tall order um, a very difficult task on their hands, and I'm just interested to see what happens. But uh, just to give a prediction, I'm going uh, to say 3-1 to Miami FC.
0: Whoa, are we talking about U.S. Open Cup?
2: Yep, I, I flipped it over and just out of the blue gave you, it a nice you prediction. You stole my transition? Yep, <laughs> I, I stole your segue, sweet baby.
0: You're... You're running this podcast now? Episode, <laughs> episode 24 of the Sock Takes Podcast. I am your host. I am Aaron Gunyon. <laughs> I I Take am...
1: control back, sweet baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is great. I love this. The one thing I wanted to finish up and talk about with Miami is even though it was a season-clenching victory and a home victory for them, their attendance numbers for that game actually went down by over 1,000 from the previous home game. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the competition on the field. But you wonder, what does Miami FC need to do in order to gain some interest and some relevance in their market? This is something we talk about with all sorts of teams, San Francisco Deltas as well. But uh, the the final attendance announced for that match in Miami this weekend was 5,115. So you guys want to give any thoughts on that? And then we'll transition over to U.S. Open Cup.
1: I think it was a really hot night. That's the only thing I can come up with. Um, but 1,000 people is pretty strong, uh, a pretty significant reduction, especially for a game which was a title decider. So I, I didn't know that, by the way, Aaron, so kudos to you for pulling that up. Uh, and off at the top of my head, I don't know. Hopefully it's just uh, an anomaly as opposed to uh, uh, the start of a bigger trend.
0: Yeah, Kevin, what do you think?
2: I don't believe it's a concerning number. I don't know if you know what their average is off the top of your head, but um, it's not a huge concern in my opinion.
0: We can look up that average here in a second. But, yeah, I agree with you. But I would still think there would be more fans than the game before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hot in Miami all the time. You know, it's the summertime. The people that live in Miami are very well aware of this. So they shouldn't be complaining. They live in... Miami that's you know sorry it gets hot there you don't like it you can get out <laughs> <laughs>
1: not the first time Aaron has said that to a bunch of Latinos
0: I, I definitely said it to just a group of Cubans I was just passing by said thanks for the sandwich <laughs> get on out <laughs> sounds racist the way I, I'm recount, recalling the story <laughs> now but oh god To to be fair in my honest opinion to be totally real, uh, that happened. So <laughs> <laughs> you got US... to
1: do a you got to do a Kevin transition now. So anyway,
0: yeah. So anyway, <laughs> have you guys heard of the U.S. Open Cup? No. Nope. You know, the U.S. Open Cup is an American tournament where basically any professional team is allowed to join at different whatever. The point is, <laughs> Napoon Napoon has a dilemma ahead of him. Because two of the teams that he shills for the hardest, one of them USL FC Cincinnati and the other one NASL Miami FC, they're going to play each other. And they're going to play each other in the round of eight, right? And so one of them is going to go home a sad loser. And Napoon is going to have to figure out a way to spin that into a positive for the teams that he's on the take for. We at Sock Takes really respect the work that FC Cincinnati has done in the tournament. I think it's been really fun to watch, and it's been really fun to watch the growth of that club and and the fans really just going bonkers out of their minds. But this game, like I said, will be played in Miami. So do you think that will factor in to the U.S. Open Cup? Let's start the preview of Miami FC versus... FC Cincinnati in Miami. It's this Wednesday. Nipun, what do you think is gonna happen in this game? What are you looking forward to seeing in this game?
1: Yeah, Cincinnati are gonna struggle for sure. They signed a new striker today, which puts them at fifty strikers now, something like that. They have a bunch of super strikers. Um, but it's gonna it's an uphill test. They're very not very poor. They're f- fairly poor away from home. Most of their good results in both the US Open Cup and in the USL, have come at home. Obviously, when you have 25,000, 25. 25 uh, by the way, this month they've averaged 25,000 a game, which is fucking insane. So when Damn. you have those, yeah. So um, you know, in general, when you have players, uh, sorry, teams like that that have that kind of support, you're obviously going to do well at home. Away from home against a team, a Miami team, which will be the best team they've ever played, and that includes. Uh, the the team that showed up for Chicago Fire that included that teams, is a hot take. Teams.
0: Yeah,
1: it is because Chicago Fire, even though they did play the likes of Basti and they played, uh, who else did they play? They played a, quite a few good starters, but they were missing Dax. They were missing uh, David Akam. They were missing some important players. Miami will be coming in hard, and they will be coming in full force because they have nothing left to play for. They're gonna, they could basically play out an entire reserve lineup on Saturday and it would mean nothing because they've already won the spring championship. Whereas Cincinnati on the other hand lost uh, against uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies played pretty well on Saturday on Sunday. Uh, yesterday they played uh, against uh, who were the, the rhinos, Rochester rhinos and they won pretty comfortably. Uh, but now there's a short turnaround. They have to travel to Miami and within basically six days, they'll have played three games. And that is difficult on any professional team. So they'll have the fatigue factor. They'll have the fact that they have to rotate. They'll have the fact that they're playing away from home where they don't do very well. And they are the fact that they're playing against Miami fucking FC. And I, even, even though, as you said correctly, we all have so much respect for what uh, they've done in the U.S. Open Cup, I think this is where if FC Cincinnati say goodbye uh, and Miami FC goes through fairly comfortably because they are... An incredible lineup and an incredible team.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of unanimous votes in that scenario. But I want to talk more broadly about the U.S. Open Cup in general and, and this game and how it applies and, and the implications for two lower division teams meeting right. at this stage of the tournament. Kevin, how do you feel about the way the tournament has played out and how these two teams have gotten here and and your impression overall of the U.S. Open Cup?
2: Yeah, there are two ways to look at it. I'm I'm personally a little disappointed that the two teams are meeting because it's just, you know, it's a free opportunity for them both to get a win, you know, but now one's guaranteed to lose. But, of course, the flip side, one is guaranteed to advance. Um, Damn, that um, was
0: negative, son. I mean, one is guaranteed to lose. Somebody pissed in your Wheaties this morning.
2: Hot take, (laughs) hot take. Some team has to lose in a game that will go to a shootout.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
2: But, yeah, anyway, uh, I, I'd also like to talk about the, <laughs> the, the tactics anyway. really quick. Uh, I don't think we've touched on too much of the tactics to, to, of no, what you, to expect. Tactic
0: away, my friend. Tactic, tactic away. away.
2: So, since he in the US Open Cup, they've primarily been, they call it a 3-5-2. You know, that's what they present it as, but we, it, it's a back five. It's basically a 5-4-1 is how it plays according to my eyes, from what I've seen the last couple USOC matches. And there, I don't see any reason to believe why FC Cincinnati would do anything different. So especially on the road against a very good team, very dangerous attack. And they might even take a chapter out of uh, Indy 11's loss at the mic. Uh, Tim Hankinson was actually quite pleased with how the Indy 11 played Miami FC that day. They just they pushed a lot of their more dangerous players um, off the ball in dangerous spots. They just kind of clogged the middle push them out wide. So Poku, Dylan Mayers, and Renella— their touches were coming over on the touchline rather than at the top of the box in the middle of the pitch. So I think they're, they'd be wise to employ that same 5-4-1-ish, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that's just what you do. You just kind of concede, hey, I'll admit you're the better team, but I'm going to make your life miserable. I'm going to clog up the middle. I'm going to bunker down and then we're going to counter. So, of course, uh, FC Cincinnati has the attacking talent to, to effectively counter. And even the guys they bring off the bench are dangerous, whether it's uh, McLaughlin or a couple other guys. But they have a lot of They're actually a pretty good counterattacking team. Their fullbacks can counter. Um, their wing midfielders can counter. And they got great finishes, of course, in GB and Koenig. So I think FC Cincinnati just needs to do the same old, same old, just get that 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 back five or you know three five two with the two cdms dropping back pretty much the whole game whatever you want to call it so and then from miami fc standpoint of course they're probably going to come out in their four three three it's a very very free-flowing beautiful form of soccer it's almost positionless soccer if you want to people talk about positionless soccer it's a very rare thing but it's kind of what Miami FC does. Um, the forwards will switch up constantly. Poku's technically the center forward, but he just does whatever he wants. He'll he'll, he'll dr- drift back into the midfield. He'll even slide over to the wings if he sees space over there. Um, and he might he'll probably have to do that um, against the 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 back five. So look for Poku to kind of sag back a little bit, drift over to the wings to try to find pockets of space. And then of course you'll have like Dylan Myers drifting inside a little more just to give the defense a different look. But I think stylistically this will be a very interesting matchup, and if FC Cincinnati can just effectively defend and maybe just snag, you know, a goal or two on a counter, anything could happen, but I'm going to stick with the prediction I said earlier and go with 3-1 for Miami FC.
0: The NASL's competition level is a little bit different than USL, and I don't know exactly you know how to judge it apples to apples, but... You look at Miami's defense, we talk about their offense all the time. Their defense has only allowed 10 goals on the year. After 15 games, they've only allowed 10 goals or some some stupid nonsense like that. Nesta has a style that he likes, and his players have bought into it. They are dangerous. They are sharks. They are piranhas, whatever. You, you don't want to dip your toe in that jacuzzi. They will eat you alive. If you're FC Cincinnati, this is not the week that you want to play Miami FC. Listen, the, the problem exists right now for Cincinnati that they have to consider some other implications for the rest of their season. Miami already has the playoff spot in hand. They can, they can literally do nothing wrong in the NASL from this point forward. They have nothing to lose. They can go forward full steam ahead, giving zero fucks about what's going on. Um, I feel bad for Cincinnati. it's It's probably not going to be pretty. But the one thing I wanted to say about the u s. Open Cup, which which breaks my heart, you know I like the tournament in concept. The thing that really drives me nuts is, as Napoon mentioned earlier about the the competition levels with two major league soccer teams that Cincinnati faced, the the tournament and the competition is dictated by how much the other team wants to play, you know, how interested. Uh, you know, one team is in fielding their best players and giving it their all right now, Miami is allowed to one hundred percent give it their all if they had not won this weekend and they were still fighting for that spring championship which which they absolutely would be doing if they were still fighting for that spring championship, this would be a completely different thing, and we would be saying, I wonder if Miami is truly going to go for it because they have so much to lose if they get somebody injured or they have so much to lose because they need to be able to be rested and be able to fully attack the last game in the spring. But right now, uh, the way the way these two competitions are, really the NASL split season and the way the U.S. Open Cup is, it's really dictating what we're going to see on wednesday i hope it turns into a good game we're all gonna be watching i mean i think it's the game to watch i think in the u.s open cup there's another matchup that maybe will get some attention which is what is it is it galaxy versus quakes that will get some attention Mm -hmm. kevin you can help me out here dallas versus somebody and then there's one other game so we don't even care about that other one so i can only mention one of the other competitions. This segment is trailing off. Let's move on. How about... <laughs> to some big transfer news. Indy 11 was in the mix late with some transfer rumors. A lot of yeah. stuff swirling around I saw on Twitter. A lot of lot of things. I saw confirmations, double-blind confirmations. I saw a lot of things. Lukaku was on his way to Indianapolis. He had his bags packed. He... He was even, I think, cited wearing a hat at one point. Mm-hmm. But didn't end, up, didn't end up making it to Indy. What happened, Napoon? What happened, and which team did he end up in? And are you okay with that?
1: Well, this is how it played out. We, we heard news uh, from our sources uh, within the club that uh, Lukaku had his, uh, his medical at Methodist Hospital. Uh, and medical <laughs> went pretty well. And uh, we we got an exclusive photo, and then of course, indy Eleven's Twitter account tweeted at us and shared that photo with Lukaku wearing the indy Eleven jersey, uh, yeah, which at that point that, that was point, confirmed. Uh, yeah, and, and at that point, you know, you guys didn't know this. I didn't share this, but that information had been shared with me earlier. I'd seen the photo, so I was very confident at that point. You know, here I am looking at a photo of uh, Romelu Lukaku wearing an indy Eleven shirt, and. At that point, you're like, okay, he's signed, he's agreed personal terms. He's, I've seen him at his medical. Um, we've, we obviously forked out the eighty-five, seventy-five million that that was quoted for him. <laughs> so everything looked in place, and then we heard about uh, this club called. Uh, hang on, I have to look it up. Uh, Manchester. Unai- Manchester United.
0: I think the C this, is silent, so it's... Okay,
1: Manchester, Manchester. So,
0: <laughs> so, So this
1: club comes out of nowhere, fucking nowhere. And then we start hearing him linked with this other club, and then all of a sudden they're talking about how he's in L.A. and hanging out with Paul, Paul uh, Pogby, something like that. And then <laughs> they're like on vacation together, and uh, basically it went from him being in an Indy 11 jersey to all of a sudden doing interviews on ESPN FC and all this stuff talking about how he wants to play for the biggest club in the world. And we all know that the biggest club in the world is Indy 11. So all of this is kind of frustrating. It leaves a pretty sour taste in my mouth as a a journalist. And at the end of the day, it just goes to show one thing, and that's people don't appreciate Indy 11 the way that we do. We realize how big it is but people like Lukaku like fucking nobody's like no one cares about Lukaku right the only reason he was relevant was because Indie 11 was linked with him and all of a sudden people are making a big deal out of it so pretty frustrating for me but uh, at the end of the day you gotta let people follow their uh, follow the money it's all about the money.
0: What I find interesting about this story the, like the most interesting is how small of a town Manchester is and it's mm-hmm. able to support two clubs like, mm-hmm. I feel like one of them is going to cannibalize the other one eventually.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just... Like the it's NASL not, kind of thing.
0: It's not possible for two clubs of any size to occupy, you the know, same one niche. metropolitan area. So that's only a matter of time. We should really probably keep an eye on soccer wars or, like, football wars, as they would call mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, because they use their feet.
1: Yeah, that's
0: what I hear. But the, the opposite news, so... In comes Lukaku, out goes another player um, back the other direction. So, unless I'm just completely mistaken, Wayne Rooney signs for Everton. Do you want to talk about that? How does that make you feel as a Manchester fan?
1: Uh, in all seriousness, Wayne Rooney is a legend of Manchester United. He, he, leaves, he came to Man United as a 19-year-old um, well, 19 or 17, he scored a hat trick against Fenerbahce in his, on his debut. I watched that game, and I've watched Wayne Rooney go from being this precocious teenager to becoming one of the best players in the world, and then his subsequent de- decline as well. So I've seen his career arc, and it's been fantastic to watch. To be honest, I mean, he in the in the days when Cristiano was becoming. Uh, Cristiano, the, the Cristiano Ronaldo that we know of now, Wayne Rooney was the team player that sacrificed his own position, often playing on the left wing to appropriate or incorporate uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's lack of desire to actually track back as a winger. And then there was the, after Ronaldo left, it became Rooney's job to actually become the goal scorer. And he did that very well for what two or three seasons. Uh, he was fantastic. And then uh, when Van Persie signed, his role again changed and he started dropping deeper, playing as a number six, not very well. It also coincided with his decline as a player. Um, It's been fantastic to watch. Along the way, he's broken every record at Man United, has the most number of goals for any player in the history of Man United, which is an incredible achievement. Made over over 400 or 500 appearances for Man United, won everything. Champions League, multiple Premier Leagues, FA Cup, Carling Cup, uh, Europa League. So he's a decorated legend of the, the club, uh, but it was re- the right time for him to leave. And as, as, a, as a romantic, it's quite amazing to see his car- arc, his career arc. So he starts out as an Everton boy in blue, plays there his whole life, comes to Man United, plays in Man United for 12 years, and then goes back to Everton to finish out his career. So it's a beautiful thing. I wish him well, uh, and he is a legend.
0: Welcome to episode 297 of the ULF podcast. <laughs> I am your co-host for this evening, Aaron Gunyan, my other co-host, Nipun Chopra. Thank you. Who, who was more than happy to talk about Manchester United for a solid three minutes without breath. I'm just saying,
1: you. I was... Doing jokes, but then you asked me a serious question, so I had to go serious for a second. You know what? Age. But
0: I mean, it is a big deal, right? I mean, he yeah, is massive, he has, he has done well, he has earned a reputation in Manchester. And sometime <laughs> after he got hair plugs, his career kind of <laughs> just didn't recover. That's a fact.
1: Uh, the hair plugs did coincide with a massive reduction in ability. That was, that was the one season I can't where... prove
0: causality, but yeah.
1: No, you're right. I mean, there there was the one season where um, it was a season after uh, he he got the first set of uh, hair plugs when David Moyes uh, took over at United that he had a few, you know, about six good months of playing football. But that was the anomaly. Beyond that, the hair plugs killed his career. I'm saying it, Hotaki.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good stopping point. Yes, I think we is. should keep up that level of integrity and and journalistic excellence. And as we exit tonight's podcast, you have been listening to episode 24. Gentlemen, is there anything you want to say? Where can people find you, Nipun?
1: Uh, You can find me at a gunyan on Twitter.
0: That's pretty cool. That would increase my mentions and my followers. I, I fluctuate. I get five. I lose seven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's too much uh too too much soccer for people to follow me right now but um yeah, i'll be happy to take any of the poons followers he's got several more than i do kevin uh, are you working on anything we already talked about that let's skip that i'm going to check that off nobody cares and then <laughs> where can people find you
2: well i do want to quickly mention that bob williams our new writer that we're thrilled to have He mentioned, I can't absolutely confirm it, but it sounds like his first piece for Sock Takes will be some content based on Wednesday's game between Miami FC and FC Cincinnati. So if you're fans of either of those clubs, be on the lookout for our brand new writer, Bob Williams, his first piece. And also don't forget to to check out Cincy Soccer Soccer Talk for Napoon's guest feature uh, for the same game. So a lot of good coverage on. on
0: this game from Sock Takes. That's really good. I like to hear that. The family is into it. I'm referring to Sock Takes as a family, like a dysfunctional <laughs> family. Group know, hug. Like, yeah, big time. So I'm a Onion. I I definitely hosted the shit out of this podcast. I think we're going to sign off right there. Definitely get to our Patreon page. Definitely follow Kevin. Definitely follow the Poon. Say take a take a picture of him on the street, and <laughs> whatever you want to do there, you and guys have a great night. And shout to Scott night.
2: Grimes. Scott Grimes. What are you doing, Kevin? you want to host tier. this motherfucker? We 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 got a shout out. The ten dollar tier and higher gets shout out on the pod. So Scott Grimes, thank you, brother.
0: Thank you, Scott. I did, I did forget to do that. Thank you, Scott. Scott, you're awesome. You guys, I'm signing off now. All right.
1: Let it.